apologize ahead of time. I've, I've had this cold for a while and it just started kicking up this morning, but it uh, reminds me of the story of the, I don't know if you remember when that um, funeral was going up State Street and the, um, yeah, funeral, the, the hearse was going up State Street and uh, they hadn't closed the back door tight enough. So it popped out, it opened up and the coffin rolled out and it landed on its wheel. So it's rolling down State Street Hill and nobody could stop it. Finally, one guy ran from the sidewalk, jumped on it, didn't really know what to do. Reached in his pocket, opened up the coffin, pulled out a Hall's cough drop, threw it in, closed the coffin and the coffin stopped. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9. Now, um, the laughter you just felt, hang on to that. Because, because the message today, I'm going to be honest with you, is a little bit of a tough one. Um, and uh, I hope you receive it in the spirit it is intended. Uh, just remember the laughter, okay? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, beginning verse 2. If you'd stand with me as we read our text today. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you've shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of the arm, of armies will accomplish this. You may be seated. Today, uh, th throughout this, ser this series, our, uh, our Christmas-themed series, we have been focusing on the four names of, uh, the four prophesied names of Jesus here in this passage. And today we're talking about <coughs> the name Everlasting Father. And... Uh, When I think of that, as I was preparing and praying about it, I was really kind of surprised by uh, the way the Holy Spirit led me in this, in this message. Uh, because it's Christmas, right? It's Christmas time. And uh, it's supposed to be happy, joy, everything's wonderful. And I think it will be if you just give me time, okay? Don't close, off, don't close me off when you start hearing the beginning of it because it has a purpose. It leads into something, okay? I hope I've... I hope I've set the expectation enough to where you will accept where we're going here. Uh, Going to have some statistics. I believe they'll be on the screen. The 2021 U.S. Uh, Census Bureau reports revealed that 18.4 million children in America live in fatherless households. Households without fathers are four, more time, four times more likely to live below the poverty line than those with fathers. Approximately 7 million biological dads are absentee dads to all of their minor children. 
Children of fatherless households are two times more likely to drop out of school. Adolescents from fathers, uh, fatherless households are more likely to commit crimes. Children growing up without a father are two times as likely to commit suicide. 43% of fathers don't consider their role to be as significant in their child's personal identity. In other words, they don't think it's a big deal. 90% of homeless and runaway children in America come from fatherless households. Put this figure into perspective, this number is 32 times higher than the national average. 72.2% of Americans believe that fatherless homes is the number one social problem in the country. I would just stop there for a second and think about everything you hear on the news, you read on social media, and all the problems with this country that you hear about, do you hear about this one? Because this is seven out of 10 Americans believe that fatherless homes is the biggest social problem in our country. 90% of repeat arsonists were raised in fatherless homes. 80% of all rapists with anger issues were raised in fatherless homes. The excuses have to stop somewhere. The excuses have to stop somewhere. The greatest failure in America today is not in the government. It's not in the schools. It's not in the business world. It's not in the media. It's not on social media. The greatest failures in America today are in the homes of Americans. We're raising a new generation that doesn't care about God, that doesn't care about truth, doesn't care about morality, or anything that resembles godly living. Quite simply and quite honestly, we're failing our children. And that includes families within the church community. 66%, and I think, I believe this statistic is low. I believe this statistic is very, very low. Uh, having worked 20 years as a youth pastor, uh, 20 years as a senior pastor, I believe the statistic I'm about to read to you is low. I believe it's much, much higher. But I can't validate that. I can validate this. 66% of 18 to 22-year-olds leave church at least for a time. The five top reasons they cite are hypocrisy, politics, work, college, and disconnection from the church. Those are the five top reasons that they give. I will tell you, they don't come up with those reasons on their own. They usually come up with those reasons because they hear it from mom and dad. The dropout rate, or what the Bible terms it, the great falling away, has accelerated among adults and especially evangelical Christian leaders over the past couple years. You may, have, you may have heard some of this. Redefining faith, deconstructing and reconstructing our faith along the lines of societal acceptance and morality has become prevalent with many leaders denying the Bible and its need in the lives of believers. We have religious leaders today. Some of them, listen, I'll, I'll name one of them, Andy Stanley, uh, who wrote a lot of books that a lot of you read. Andy Stanley now tells us as Christians we don't need to pay attention to the Old Testament. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. Do I believe Andy Stanley or do I believe God? I think that's pretty, pretty to me, that's a pretty obvious choice. But to Christians in this, in this country, it's not. We have people like Beth Moore, uh, who was a very respected women's teacher who has now completely walked away and denies the truth of the word of God. And it goes on and on and on. And if you think that just stops with them, you're wrong. Because it infiltrates the church 
And we're seeing people in the church flee the church, not because of anything but societal issues. We've, the church has become so caught up in, and I'll name these too, it's caught up so much in the Me Too movement. Listen, I think men who rape women, I think, I think those of us who are good, solid men, we should be able to take those men, tie them behind our pickup trucks, and drag them around town. I, hey, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I think you abuse your child. I think I should be able to find the five biggest, nastiest men that beat the ever-loving bleep out of you. Hey, that's, that's my justice. Seriously. Seriously. But I don't think I need to now change the message and the method of God to reach this world and make church more palatable to people like that. Quite, quite the contrary. I think I need to stand stronger against those things. Especially in the church. Because let's be honest, church, and some of you can, you don't have to stand up and say amen and jump on a pew and swing from the chandeliers when I say this. But you know it's going to be true. Some of you are the victims of churches who turned a blind eye to the nasty people that raised you and beat you in your home. And came into the church and were lifted up as godly individuals. And people ignored the hell you were being put through as a child. I'm sorry about that. I truly am, and I don't say that in a flippant way. Because I believe the church has ignored its responsibility of raising and teaching and training good fathers. I believe with all my heart we have. I believe we turn a blind eye. I believe we overlook things. I believe we don't want to say the truth. And I believe we mourn too much the people that walk out the door because they get offended by truth than we do the young kids and the women who are raised and abused by these nasty knuckleheaded men who don't deserve our respect. I told you this isn't going to be a fun one this morning. <laughs> We're losing our people because we've lost our fathers. Jesus came to earth to show us an everlasting father. And I promise you, this is going to tie together, people, please. I promise you, just hold on, okay? Just stay with me. Jesus came to earth to show us an everlasting father, to show us what a real father looks like and should be. He showed us, the one, he, he showed us an example of the one you should go to, the one you can count on, the one you can trust when everyone else fails you, the one to run to when your earthly father fails you. The saddest words I've ever had to say and I ever will have to say to parents in church in my past ministries or in, in the future are this. Someday you'll wish you were a better Christian example to your children. The hardest, at, it's not heartbreaking for me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's frustrating and angering to me. When I have parents come to me whose children, they ask me to go visit them in prison. They ask me to go do this and do that. I've had people ask me to show up to court just to be there to be a prop. Oh, see, my son, this is my, past, my son's pastor. Uh, okay. Yeah, your, your, son's, you know, your son has been a pretty nasty kid. Don't blame that on me and don't try to prop him up with me. Because I tried to warn you and that little rascal started acting up and you didn't want to discipline them and you didn't want to pull you didn't want to, to stand up and, and be a parent and be a godly parent when you wanted to 
let them do everything else except be in church. And now time has come to pay the piper and you wish now you were a better Christian example back then. The positive effect on fathers in the lives of children is indisputable. The overwhelming need for a positive father in the life of a child is without question. Let me stop here for a second as well. I thank God for men in our, in our church and men in our society who are willing to step in and be a father to the fatherless because that's a calling of God. I, 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 uh, my, my boys were privileged to be on a baseball team that was coached by one of our men here and, and his wife who didn't really sit in the stands. She roamed the sidelines and. She was quite a coach as well. Yes, Thank yes. You, Aaron. You're welcome, Jeff. So I'm, I'm very thankful that we have people. I have, I'm very thankful that we have people that step in and take the role of a father. Listen, I, I use this man as an example because I love him so much. Uh, Melvin Edwards has, is, is a mentor to the mentorless and a father to the fatherless. And if I could clone him, uh, I'd, ha I'd have to adjust the DNA a little bit to get rid of that nasty cowboy thing, you know, whatever that is. That's a defect. But other than that, I think he's straight. I think he's straight. But we're losing the battle. We have been given the example of what a true father should be. And it's time we start holding ourselves and others to that standard. It truly is. We have an overwhelming need of a father in the life of a child, and that's without question. Yet in our society, we expect children to grow up and learn how to be productive citizens while being handicapped in a major role in their lives. It's an amazing indictment, I believe, on our society that we don't do more to handle this matter to solve it in a way that will benefit children and impact their future. It's even more amazing to me that the church in America takes a, such a negligent attitude towards the problem, makes it out to be a race issue or a political problem. Make no mistake, absentee fatherhood goes beyond racial, ethnic, socioeconomic boundaries. It hits every area of society. Excuses abound but not responsibility. There's always someone else to blame or someone else to pass the buck to. At some point, this has to stop. At some point, someone has to step up and say, I'll take responsibility. I'll be the one to shoulder the burden. I'll be the one to carry that cross. I may not be the best or the most gifted, but I will be present and I will be accountable. Ray Johnson said this, and I can tell you this uh, from personal experience. It takes a strong man to accept someone else's children and stepped up to the plate that another man left on the table. There's an unknown quote, clothes, cars, homes, and money does not define a good man or a good father. Character, good morality, respect, honesty, and handling your responsibilities, or as we used to say, handling your business, do. And for those of you on the red side of life, don't get offended by this one. President Barack Obama, who I think was one of the greatest examples of public fatherhood, you may not like his politics, but the man was a good dad, still is. What makes you a good man is not the ability to make a child, it's the courage to raise one. Mm 
This is where it takes a turn. But this, this message, as much as I've been railing on American society and American fatherhood, this message isn't about American society and it's not about American fatherhood. It's about our spiritual well-being and the relationship of Christmas to our spiritual need of a father. Because you, because you can't truly see the importance of being a good and godly parent to your children or to the next generation without seeing the impact that your heavenly eternal father has in yours. You see, we get upset and angry and we see the injustice in the lack of fatherhood in America. And we get upset and we get angry and we want to blame somebody and we start, pro we start fights and we start issues and it divides us because we want, to, we, we want to blame a certain race or we want to blame a certain characteristic. We want to say, blame a, person, a, a, a certain political party for the problems in the family, the problems in the home, when the problem comes down to us. You see, we as Christians are many times, folks, here's where it gets tough. You could be all upset and angry and irate about the lack of biological fatherhood, but too many of us as Christians are living as fatherless children of God. We're living our lives as believers as if our father has abandoned us. We're living our lives as Christians as if we have no example and no leadership and no character traits that, are, that we're called to follow and called to accept and called to mimic in our lives. So spiritually, what does that make us? Our churches are not falling apart because somebody voted blue or red. Our churches are not being abandoned because somebody left their home. Our churches are falling apart and our churches are being abandoned and people are walking out the door because we are not listening to our Heavenly Father. Our churches are falling apart and we're seeing people leave left and right because we as Christians don't see the need of our eternal father in our life and don't want his example. Listen, I, I, this is, it's been a tough week preparing this message just the six weeks after losing your dad. It really is. And I don't mean to keep going back to that, but it's, perfect, it's a perfect segue. <clears throat> and over the last six weeks, I've, I've felt an incredible hole in my, in my life because my dad is gone. What I have been able to lean on and what has given me hope and what has given me, uh, what, what has made me smile and what has made me happy is reminding myself and remembering the father I had. Remem remembering the things my dad did for me, the things my dad taught me, the things that my father uh, left me, the heritage that he gave me. I remember that. I had, I've had pastors call me and, and uh, they've said, you know, John, we'll, we've got people lined up and we'll come down and we'll, we'll preach for you and this and that and this so you can take some time off. I'm like, guys, I'm okay. I'm okay. My heart's broken, no doubt about it. But let me tell you about the man that raised me. The man that raised me expected me to take care of my business. The man that raised me expected me to be faithful in all things. And if I can't be faithful in the middle of um, great heartbreak, then what in, the, what in the heck was his training and teaching to me about? 
You see, that's what it, and I'm not trying to, trying to pat myself on the back or lift me up, but maybe I am. Maybe it needs to be lifted up, folks, because we run away from trouble too easily today as Christians. We run away from difficulty and we put everything in this world before Jesus in our lives. Our Father left us a great example and, it, and is being a great example to us every day and every moment of our lives, but we don't want to see it. We want to make excuses. And we, want to, we want to pile on other people. And we want to say this and that and the other thing. You want to blame me? Blame me. Go knock yourself out, man. That's okay. But understand this. You can blame me, but God's not going to blame me. God's going to point the finger right back at you and say... I have been the everlasting father to you. You just didn't want to follow me. That's what I mean. The excuses have to stop somewhere. You can't keep blaming everybody else. You can't even keep blaming your biological parents. Because you're a grown-up now. And with being grown-up, listen, if you can get up out of bed and go to work every day, you can follow Jesus every day. It's not that difficult. It's, it's, it's tough to endure the difficulties of life, but it's easier to do them when you're following Jesus. It's easier to do them when you know there's a purpose, when you know there's a plan. How do you know that? You've got a father that wants to teach you everything you need to know. <clears throat> life is tough. You're never going to get it exactly right all the time. But we can be better than we have been. We can be better than those around us. We can be better than those who have dropped the ball. The reason I highlighted our situation in society is to paint a picture for us so that we can see not only the need of an everlasting father, but also the powerful effect of the greatest father you'll ever know in your life can be. Think about that. For those of you who had a great... And I'm talking about... I'm not talking about those of you who, whose father was, was terrible, those of you who, who wouldn't go visit the grave of your, of your biological dad if somebody paid you to do it. And I get that. I understand that. Love to work through that with you because that is a hindrance to a lot of people. I'm talking about those of you who had a great dad. Maybe you still have a great father in your life. What if you allowed God to be that same kind of spiritual father to you that you allow your biological father to be to you? What if those of you who had a terrible father and don't even want to remember your father would allow the eternal father, the eternal Jesus Christ, to be the father to you that you never had? Because see, that's what he wants to be. That's one of the things that was prophesied to us, that Jesus was going to come to this earth be born of a virgin, be born a baby, grow up and, and live, and then be the example to us of what an everlasting, eternal father can, should, and will be if you allow it. Now, just like your biological dad, <coughs> you allow the relationship to take place. Some of you, you've cut yourself off from your dad, and that's, that's your call. I would urge you to try to work on that because every relationship that we allow to be shut down and every relationship we allow to grow into bitterness is a relationship that 
that, uh, that kind of puts a, a callus over our hearts and our lives and keeps us from becoming everybody, uh, becoming the person that God wants us to be. He wants it. You may not, you, you, you don't need to, uh, you don't need to uh, okay what was done. And maybe sitting down and having a conversation and saying, this is how you hurt me. And now that you're a grown person, you could do that, would be in, in line. And maybe there'll never be that kind of a relationship. But you need to make sure that your heart is not calloused over towards those who hurt you. It's not, it's not okaying. Please understand me. It's not okaying what was done. Forgiveness sets a prisoner free and you realize that that prisoner was you. Because you're allowing yourself to be kept in a cage of bitterness and anger. And when you do that and you allow God to be that everlasting father to teach you what a father truly can be, man, that's when you start growing. That's when you start becoming. That's when you start learning how to be the follower of Christ, the effective, fruitful follower of Christ that he wants you to be. Listen, I know I was very fortunate. I'm a very lucky man. Very lucky man. I, not only was I raised by a great man who was a great dad, I had 60 years of that guy. 60 years. Man. What a blessing. What an amazing blessing. But I understand that that great relationship that my father had with me and that I had with him was only an example of the relationship that I truly needed in my life. The relationship with my eternal father. <clears throat> this morning, I want to share with you what Jesus wants to be. When it says, when the Bible says he's the everlasting father, I want to share with you what that means. Here in our text, God promises the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be an everlasting father to his children. What does that mean? What should that mean to you? How can you and how can I make that practical to us in our lives? If it's indisputable, the biological father is of amazing importance in the life of a child, why don't we as children of God accept the fact that a relationship with our Heavenly Father is the most beneficial, beneficial, beneficial asset in our lives? Hebrews 6, verses 17 through 20 say, Because God wanted to show us His unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge uh, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he, he has become a high priest forever, according to the, the order of Melchizedek. Is your faith your anchor? You see, I've got to be honest with you, man. As I look around and I, you know, you know what? Think I'm judging whatever you want to think. I'm just being honest. And I'm not saying it's easy. I had, I had that verse tattooed on my arm and an anchor because I wanted to be able to see every day that I have an anchor. That when life, when life sucks, 
when everything's going down the tubes, I have an anchor. I have something that keeps me grounded. I don't have to run away. I don't have to go hide. I just have to lean on my faith and lean into my everlasting father. Let me ask you a question. Do you have an anchor in your soul? Do you have an anchor of your soul? Is that something of your faith that you can honestly say, that's me. That's my walk with Jesus. Or is it you're constantly being tossed around with the waves of life. And for this period of time, you're solid. And for that period of time, you've walked away. And for this period of time, you're solid. For that period of time, you walked away. An anchor is supposed to keep us firm in the storms. An anchor doesn't keep us from going through the storms. An anchor keeps us in place during the storms. <coughs> Pope John Paul XXIII said, It's easier for a father to have children than for children to have a real father. And I think it's easier for us to call ourselves children of God than it is to live as if we are children of God. Jesus came to give you the father that you need, perhaps the father that you never had. And he came to earth to show you the example of what a father should be. Whether you are to be a father or have a father in your life, everything God did for us, everything he prophesied for us was intentional. It was on purpose for a purpose. He said that Jesus would come to earth to be our forever, forever father for a reason. In our world today, in our society, and perhaps even in your own life, you need a real father. You may not have had a father in your life. Maybe you don't have an example or a template to follow or compare anyone to. Maybe that's why you've been searching unsuccessfully for fulfillment of the longing in your heart. Maybe it's the reason that some of you men struggle with being a consistent man of God or a consistent godly father to your kids. The Bible gives us the answer as to the question of what it means to have a father, to be a father. And I believe it's important for us to learn and heed its teachings. Perhaps the greatest gift of God for our lives after salvation is an everlasting father. Why? What is it that makes this role in our lives so vital? What are some of the qualities of an everlasting father that should make you strive to be better? The first one is this. A real father always loves you and always will. A real father always loves you and always will. I know for some of you that's a foreign concept. Because some of you never once felt love from your biological dad. Oh, you felt a lot of things. But you may have never felt true love from your biological dad. You may have felt the back of a hand. You may have felt the baseball bat. You may, have, you may feel in your heart anger and hatred towards that individual that God placed in your life as a biological father. But one thing you never truly felt was love. Let me tell you, that's not a real father. And I'm sorry you had to endure that. If I had the ability to apologize and make things right for that individual, listen man, my heart is big enough to say I wish I could make that right for you. But I can't. I can't do it. You know what? Neither can you. And I am so, so sorry. You have no idea. I'm amazingly blessed. 
And there are times when I feel, maybe my sister Donna feels the same way. There are times when I feel like I was spoiled by having the father I had, especially when I look at other people and what they had to endure. Amen. I'm so sorry if you look at my life and say, well, John, you were so lucky. I will not deny that. I'll not deny that. And you know what? I'll never apologize for that because I was fortunate. But I do understand that because I had such a great dad in my life, it lays an enormous responsibility on me now to go and live my life as a father to the fatherless. To live my life with the characteristics and the qualities that I was raised with, the godliness that I was raised with, and to be that example to others and to help others become men of God and fathers of God that didn't have that example. And man, I'm so sorry if you didn't have that example. I truly am. From the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. But can I tell you this? There is a better way forward. There is a better way forward. And if you will let that go and allow God to step in and love you with the love of a father that maybe you've never felt before in your life, it will change your life. It will change your experience in life. It will change your outlook on life. It will change your worldview. And if you're a father today and you never had an earthly father, if you allow God to love you with the love of a father, it will change the way you father your children. It will change the way you interact with other kids. Listen, I don't... I... I, I some of you work with elementary school kids. God bless you. You know what I'm saying? Knock yourselves out, man. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really happy. I'm really happy that you have the energy and the, uh, the passion to, to do that. It's just... And junior hires. Listen, man, when I was a youth pastor, the very first position I wanted to fill, you can ask Zach this, because he was in my youth group out of Missouri. The very first position I wanted to fill when I took over a youth ministry was this, junior high director. You know why? Because I'm not a fan of junior high kids, man. <laughs> Holy cow. You talk about drama. That is, one big, that is one big daytime soap opera after another. <laughs> but this is where it gets crazy. I love teenagers. I love teenagers. I love working with teenagers. I love being involved in their lives. And that's where most people look at me and say, are you out of your mind? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? Those kids, they, the only people that ever want to make me think about, you know, burying a body where nobody can find it is a teenager, right? <laughs> I love them. I absolutely love youth ministry. The hardest thing for me to do was to accept a, a, a pastorate position. Because it meant I had to leave youth ministry. I loved working with teenagers. One of the most heartbreaking parts of that is dealing with the fact that so many of them either don't have a father or whose father is a worthless lump. And trying to step in and show them the example of what a father can be. And man, it takes all that that all the training and all the teaching and all the examples that I've had in my life to bring that to bear so that I can show love to kids that have never seen it and never felt it before in their lives. You know what I'm talking about. <coughs> I 
Folks, being able to be a solid Christian who makes a difference in the lives of others begins with accepting and experiencing the love of your everlasting Father. Something you may have never experienced in your life, but something he wants to give you. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a rich man. I never will be. I, I'm learning very quickly that uh, the degree I have is not the degree people are looking for. And I'm learning very quickly that at 60, people would rather that you were 40. But I know this. Every day I wake up, I've got a father that loves me. And a father that give, has given me breath in my lungs. And a father that has a reason for me to be alive today. And he has a purpose for me. And it may not be my purpose. But it sure is his. And the love of my Father compels me to go out every day and live a life that matters for Him. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Listen, you may not feel loved. You may be amazingly lonely and truly alone. It's estimated that one out of every ten Americans will spend Christmas alone this year. But God loves you. You have a father that always loves you and always cares for you. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For those of you who were abandoned by a father... For those of you who are not loved by a father, for those of you who cannot look back on your father and say, that's who I want to be like because he loved me so much and he showed me so much how to be a good person, these verses can be for you today. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many times you reject him, how many times you hurt him, how many times you may think you embarrass your heavenly father. He loves you. And he's there for you. And you cannot be separated from his love. Listen, I don't really care the theology you were raised with. Maybe some of you were raised in theology that says, you're, if you're bad enough, God will cut you off and take your salvation away. There is no there is a, listen, I'll stand here behind this, this pulpit thing, and I'll say this clearly, plainly, without a doubt. There is no theological, biblical evidence that you will ever lose the salvation that God gave you. It is yours for eternity. Once saved, always saved. That's not just a Baptist catchphrase. That is biblical truth. Amen. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are His forever. You're adopted into the family of God. Let me tell you about adoption. I'm a, I'm, my wife and I are up close and personal experts on adoption. Gabriel and Michael, they are chases. That'll never change. That's not going to change. Their birth certificate, check this out. Their, you know what their birth certificate says? Gabriel, Michael, Chase, and Michael, Gabriel, Chase. And you know who the parents on those birth certificates are? Aaron, May, Chase, and John, Edward, Chase. You know why? Because they're my sons. 
They are my boys. They are Aaron's boys. Nothing will ever change that. I'm dogmatic. I'm hardcore after that. I've had people say, oh, I could never adopt. I, I, it, it's just not the same. You're, no, I, whew, that almost came out. Whoa, that almost came out, baby. That just whew, stopped right there at the edge of my lips. Yeah, no. Let me say this. You don't know what you're talking about. And if you are so selfish as to think that you don't have enough love to share with a kid that needs it, that needs it, you, you all know, those three kids are no longer in our home. Not our choice, breaks our heart. People say something to us about it. And you know what my answer to them is? You could have opened your home. Could have opened your home. Not as easy as you think. Not as easy as you think. But you could have opened your home. Oh, I could never do it. Yeah, you could. You just, don't, you just don't want to unlock that love portion of your heart. It says, I'll give myself to somebody else. And see, folks, we're going down this road. We might as well just keep going. That's why you can't be consistent as a follower of Jesus. Because you're too stinking stubborn to unlock that part of your heart that says, I'm going to give it all to God. I'm going to give every bit of it to God. Oh, man, you'll give it all to your friends. You'll be there at the drop of a hat for your friends. But you will not be there at a drop of a hat for your Father in heaven. When he says, I need you right now, I need you to step up to the plate. I need you to be what I need you to be. You say, no, God, I'm going to be what I want to be. And I'll fit into your plan where I think I can fit into your plan. But that's as far as I go. And that's why you can't be successful. And that's why you can't be faithful. And that's why you don't bear fruit in your life as a Christian because you will not unlock that selfish part of your heart that says, I will give all to God. Merry Christmas. <laughs> the second thing we learn about a real father from God is this. A real father is faithful when everyone else leaves. Listen, I have amazing respect for single moms and single dads who stayed the course and raised children when the other worthless individual walked out that door. Holy cow, I can't imagine how difficult that is to be able to raise children on your own, to be mom and dad. When some, and then to have to to be there to have to be the one to explain the situation. Be the one holding the bag and having to explain what it's all about. And you're the one that has to deal with the anger. And you're the one that has to deal with the frustration. And you're the one that has to deal with the rebellion. And you're the one that has to deal with the acting out. But you stayed. You stayed and you were faithful in that situation. Man, I think you're a hero. I think you're a hero. Let me tell you who stays when everybody else leaves. Your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father does not abandon you. Although there are times where you may feel alone, you're not. He doesn't leave you. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you all the time. Many of you have had those days, those portions of life where you were the living footprints poem, right? 
There are times in your life where you only see one set of footprints, and it wasn't that God abandoned you. It was that he carried you through that time. You don't know how you got there, got here from there, except that it was him. Why? Because he'll never leave you. When everybody else becomes unfaithful, he is faithful. Cat Bernal said, my father's words didn't tell me I wasn't enough. His absence did. Can I share with you this truth? You never have to feel like you're not enough with God. Because he makes you enough. The secret is that he has to be enough for you. You see, we run around trying to fulfill ourselves with, uh, with success, with friendships, with, uh, with purpose that we think matters in life. When what he's saying is, listen, I have a plan for you. Oh my gosh, I have a plan. There are people out there lost and dying and on their way to hell and you think it's more important to do your thing. No, please don't abandon me. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm with you, and I know it's difficult. I know it's tough, especially living in this area, man. It's difficult. I have tried my best to get involved and to bring what I have to offer to the table here in this, this school system here in East Long Meadow. They don't want it. What do I do now? I curl up into a little ball and say, oh, they don't want me here. They just want me to come and take attendance. No. You know what? I move on and I find somebody who wants it. Because the Bible says, when people don't receive your peace, brush the dust off your feet and move on. Because somebody needs me and somebody is open to me. See, the problem is, you only knocked on one door. Zach and I, Zach is such a, an amazing salesman, right? We cut our teeth, both of us, MCI WorldCom. How many of you ever bought long distance from MCI? Remember the long distance wars? I was one of those nasty people who called you in the middle of dinner. Says, hey, I have five, five cent nights and weekends. <laughs> right? I'll offer you five cent nights and weekends. And I'll give you five blockbuster rentals to switch. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> I was on Winback one time for a couple weeks. And I called somebody, and she had just, it was calling customers who had switched. She had switched to AT&T. And uh, I said, ma'am. You're a Blockbuster customer. I can give you six Blockbuster rentals if you come back. She says, well, I just switched to AT&T and they gave me $100. And I'd feel bad switching. I don't think I could switch. I said, well, you can switch back. It's your, it's your, uh, it, it's your long distance. And you can keep that money. They can't take it back. I said, so here's what we're going to do. You keep the $100 from, M from, from AT&T and you buy dinner. I'll give you six Blockbuster videos. You got dinner and movies on us. <laughs> she switched. She switched. That's right. That's right. And if you think that's slick, you should go try to buy a phone from Zach. Yeah. And I completely forget where I was going with that example. I truly do. I truly do. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Whatever. God will make you a great salesman. Number three, number three, a real father 
will sacrifice so that you can succeed. A real father will sacrifice so you can succeed. Those of you dads, those of you moms who work the late night shift, yeah, you do that. And you, you know, some people say, the funniest thing to listen to, and how many of you ever worked midnights? Have you ever worked midnights? The funniest thing I ever heard out of people's mouths, oh, I prefer the midnight shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like the men's thread this week, I prefer liver over filet mignon. Yeah, right. Right? No, I don't think so. That's it. There's a reason why they pay you $2 an hour more per hour to work that midnight shift, because it's terrible. There's a reason why they sell blackout curtains for your windows so you can sleep during the day, right? Because it's not humanly natural to do those things. Yet and still you do it. Why? Because you've got a family to take care of. Because children need a roof over their head. Because children need food on the table. You do it because you're a parent. And you want to be the best parent you can be. So you sacrifice so that your kids' lives will be better. Maybe you never went to college, but you're putting money away so your kids can go to college. Because you want them to have a better life than you had. Maybe one of the things that drives you to be such a present parent is the absence that you had in your life of a parent. Listen, God says to us, a real father will sacrifice so that you can succeed, sometimes, most of the time, at their own expense. Well, that was Jesus, right? Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. Jesus died on the cross so that you could enjoy eternity. And, you know, he died on the cross so that you can enjoy eternity, but also so that you can, once you accept him as your savior, you can go out and bring more along with you. That's our calling right now. Quickly, a real father, and this might hit home for you, a real father sees your potential when you don't. A real father sees your potential when you don't. I think the, one, of the, one of the most difficult things to do is to convince people of their value in ministry, of their value to the church. Listen, this is my life, okay? This is, my, this is what I've given my life to. And you may not understand that. You may not think it. Ask anybody that knows me. Ask the woman that lives with me. Uh, ask the woman that raised me. This is my life. I don't understand why people don't want to get turned on to Jesus. I don't get it. But I will spend my life trying to convince people that it is the absolute best way to live. I'll spend my life trying to convince people through my example, trying to be joyful in joyless situations trying to be faithful in the middle of difficulties, showing people the example of the Father in heaven that shows me how to live. Because I don't think there's any better way to live than the road that leads to heaven, than the road that leads other people to Jesus. Now, I'm not the best at anything. When I say that, I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm not being uh, overly humble. I'm telling you exactly how I feel about myself. I, I don't get it. I said this a couple weeks ago. I wouldn't be the one I, the, if I was God, I wouldn't be the one I chose to do this job. I just know me. I know me. But he has. 
So apparently he sees something in me that I don't. You know, he sees the same thing in you that you don't see in yourself. And when you say, I can't, and I'm not equipped, and I'm not good enough, therefore, I just won't even try, you are limiting God in your life. Because God sees your potential even though you don't. He sees what you can do even though you don't. I love, I love watching the, these young, young people, these, I call them young people, getting excited about ministry. I love um, when, when Jamil says, hey, this is what I'm, what I'm preaching. I'm sorry to throw you out there, man. This is, the, this is the lesson I'm bringing Saturday night. And I'm sorry I missed it. I, would, I, I wish I could have been there. Um, I love seeing that because I know that God is unlocking the potential in this young couple. And they're seeing what God can do. In a small, nowhere town like East Long Meadow, an even smaller church that not everybody knows about, they're making a difference in the lives of a and God wants to do the same thing with you because he sees the potential that you don't see in yourself. Tim Keller said, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. By his grace, he doesn't leave us as we are. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And Psalm 139.14 says, I will praise you because I am remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. Do you feel that about yourself? Do you understand that there is potential locked up in you that only God can unlock? And what he can do with you is beyond your imagination, beyond what you can comprehend. But he sees potential in you like a father. I look at... My two boys, Gabriel and Michael, the same way I looked at Zach when, he was, when they were playing baseball. And I see these two boys, and they're moving up a division, and they had a rough year last year moving up into the next division. They, they, were, uh, they were the kings of AAA ball. They really were. They, uh, Gabriel pitched a no-hitter. Michael caught it for him. And uh, Michael led the league in home runs, and they were just, I mean, there was nobody that could put a pitch past them. Well, they moved up a league this year, and they struggled. No doubt, they struggled. But I see those two boys out there, and I see what they can be. I see their potential. And part of the reason they struggled, honestly, is because I was laid up all year long with surgeries. Well, I can't wait now that I can get out there and help them fulfill that potential, that I can work with them and, uh, and hone their skills and and uh, get them out and, and, uh, and teach them the next level of stuff. I can't wait. And if I, as an earthly father, see that in my earthly sons and have that excitement in my heart to unlock their potential in something as simple as baseball, how does your heavenly father feel about you? And the potential you have to serve him and make an eternal difference, not a... Not a not a daily difference, not a, not a small difference in your community, an eternal difference in the lives of others. Lastly, a real father is an example of what your ideal should be. Listen, make no, mistake, make no mistake, not showing your family a faithful, godly witness in your own life 
But making God your priority, I believe, is the greatest failure you'll ever face as a parent or a person. Not showing people the godly example of who you can be. Not perfect. For some of us, not even close to perfect. But the godly example that he wants us to be, not doing that is the greatest failure we'll ever have in our lives. Matthew 16, 24, and 25, then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life because of me will find it. Listen, a real father reads his Bible, a real father prays, a real father takes his family to church. A real Christian reads their Bible. A real Christian prays. A real Christian is faithful and involved in their church. Why? Because that's where their heavenly father leads them. Because that's where their heavenly father feeds them. See, some of us want to be fed by God without coming to his table. God doesn't feed you at the table of politics. God doesn't feed you at the table of social media. God doesn't feed you at the table of friendship. He feeds you at the table of his word. He feeds you at the table of prayer. And he feeds you at the table of his house. An everlasting father. That's what he wants to be. That's what Jesus came to be. And I know for some of you that might be a very difficult concept to accept. All I can say to you is this, work on it. Work on it. Pray about it. Work on it, man. Because what he has for you and who he wants to be for you will blow your mind. What he can do for you, what he can unlock in you, and the difference he can make. Man, it doesn't mean you have to be a missionary or a preacher. You can simply make a difference in the lives of other people and draw them to Jesus and bring them to a place where they have to make a decision for or against Jesus. That's all we're called to do. Your father wants to teach you those things, the basics of life. The question is, you want to have that relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for <laughs> a great day in your house, great worship, great fellowship. Lord, even, even difficult messages we praise you for. Father, I thank you for the father you blessed me with. Lord, not because of who David Chase was, but because of who he pointed me to. Lord, I know that not only our church, but those who are watching us and those who we interact with, lives are, are just filled. We have, we have so many who didn't have that privilege. Yet, God, they can experience that with you in a more powerful way. Lord, may this message on the everlasting Father permeate our hearts. Even those of us who had that great example, even those of us who have walked that way, may we not take it for granted because, God, we can, we can take it for granted and we can hold back when you want us to expend who we are. God, may we love you 
and show you that love every moment of every day. Heal hearts, mend lives, and God, may we go from here today as worshipers of yours, as examples, as true children of an everlasting Father. In your name we pray, amen.